Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we are here with one of the most revered and legendary coaches in all of college tennis, 29 years at the University of Georgia, most recently as a first, first or second freshman to ever win the NCAAs as a freshman, uh, Ethan Quinn. We're here with Manny Diaz. Manny, thanks for coming on the show. Great to be with you, Kamal. So when you hear 29 years, I mean, I did like six years with the player and I can only imagine 29 years on a tennis court. It has to be more interesting because the players keep shuffling in so you keep it fresh. Yeah. But six years of one player was a lot. So how, do you, how does it feel to be in one place for 29 years? And what is next? Well, um, you know, the good thing about my, uh, my position, because I don't want to call it a job, right? You and I know it, it takes more than that type of mentality. It's just, it's a way of life, right? And uh, it's a mission. It's, uh, it's something we really enjoy. Uh, you know, coming in every day to, to kind of just help get people, people better, right? Uh, but with us, it's even if it's um, year to year when you change, you change or you graduate one or two players. And, and this, this last year, we graduated five. Mm. Uh, we had five fifth-year seniors, graduate seniors that decided to come back. Um, they got that extra year, you know, year from COVID and, um you know, so we, we we were together four of them for five years, and that was a long time. But to be honest with you, you know, if you recruit the right kids and you have the right kids, uh, you know, it's it's a joy, right? It's it's a lot of fun seeing them progress, seeing them. At times, you know, their goals change a little bit. Some of them, you know, want to continue to be on that path to becoming pros, and some decide, you know, that they're good with being a great college player, but they have other, other ambitions. Right. Yeah. But, you know, getting back to, to, you know, how you stay fresh, you say 29 years, that's 29 years as a head coach. I've been there for 41 years. Cause I did six with coach McGill as his associate head coach. <laughs> so 41 years when I kind of remind myself of that, it's pretty mind blowing. Oh, um, man. And then you play <laughs> And then you yeah, then before, that's, that's right. So it's over 50 years uh, in and around Athens, uh, Georgia. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's scary how quickly it has all moved, you know, had all, it's all gone. Now, you just said you had five seniors graduate, right? And when I think of UGA, hey, that's a scary thought. Because when you have a powerhouse like that, that year after year is top 10 yeah. in the country competing for a national championship, and you lose five. Right. Yeah. Then you got to go, where do I go and find five more ballers? Right. Do I go to, <laughs> do I go to junior French and look for those who make it to the round of 16, make it to the round of 32, 
maybe not physically quite ready to go pro. Maybe they come spend a year. Do I go to Junior Wimby and see what happens? How do you replace five guys at that level when you're competing with other schools like UCLA, TCU, Texas? Yeah. Well, I mean, it starts way before, uh, you know, the year prior, uh, you know, so, you know, you obviously start recruiting these kids at the beginning, you know, when they're going into their junior year, hopefully you've uh, watched them play. They've seen you there, you know, with some interest, you can't communicate with them and now until they're past that sophomore year. So that makes it a little bit tougher. It's a little bit more challenging, but, you know, you track these kids from the first year of 16 and second year of 16 and then onward. And, you know, we've, we knew we had some huge uh, shoes to fill, um, but um, we, we got on board pretty good. And, you know, we have the number one recruiting class in the country. We've got Alex Mickelson, who's already 265 or 260. Uh, Ignacio Busse from Peru, um, who was up to number nine ITF junior in the, in the world. Um, and then we have three, believe it or not, this is exciting for me. We have three kids whose dad or mom played tennis at Georgia. So now mm. I'm coaching, I'm coaching my former players. Well, my former players is kids. I'm right. going like, whoa. Uh, so we have Bobby Marinchek's son. Uh, he was an All-America at Georgia, got to the uh, finals of uh, the uh, NCAA doubles with Wade McGuire in 92-93. And his, his son, Parker Marinchek, Eddie Jake's uh, son, Parker Jake's, and um, Davis Taylor, Mariana Land, who played for our women's program when they won a national championship. Her son, Davis Taylor, is coming to join us as well. So we've got five kids. And we added a uh, recently we added another player through the uh, portal from USC. Uh, Ryan Colby is going to be joining us as well. And and hey, we're you know we're always looking. We're we're we're, we're always looking. And and it it you know it, it takes a while to establish relationships and 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 get to the point where you're able to attract the top kids to replace some big shoes to to really fill some big shoes. Well, you mentioned like first year 16, second year 16, uh, you were at my facility, you know, for the indoors. And so you see Gorgeous. How we, we could host two college matches at one time. It's the most beautiful thing to watch when you see two yeah. top 16 teams in the country competing against each other and you see the momentum yeah. shift from court to court. But we also have a lot of opportunity to see junior tournaments here because we host a lot of junior events here and with UTR, I see a lot of 12, 13, 14-year-olds so worried about the UTR, not necessarily worried that ducking matches, like if they lose in the main draw, they want to duck a back draw match or just pulling out. And so it's really interesting to hear you say, we start watching first year. I mean, unless the kids are stud at 13 or 14, right? You're like tracking them. But the right. first year 16 is where you really start to get serious about a player. What would be your advice to the players that are, overly managing their UTR now, perhaps not developing, not developing toughness, not showing up to win. Because yeah. let me tell you, your number five guy tomorrow may yeah. be playing somebody with a UTR low to him. He can't duck that match. You expect him to show up and win, right? So what, oh, what yeah. can you give the parents on managing that? I, I honestly, uh, I, I think they need to realize that coaches, you know, that's what they're looking for. They're looking 
you know, how these kids, number one, handle adversity on the court, how, how they're handling the fact that their opponent may have given them a bad call, the umpire, the, you know, missed a, missed a call, how they're handling tough, difficult situations, how they handle when they lose in the main draw. Do they walk away? Do they kind of just fake an injury? You know, people need to hear that coaches do notice that. And, uh, and, uh, and that's something that tells us, uh, a significant amount. We, you know, we take that very seriously. You know, we, 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 we see, um, you know, the bottom of the lineup as every bit as important. You need some, you need somebody to be manning the number one and two uh, positions, but really where championships are won is, is at the bottom, right. Is in, and it's, you know, I think they have to realize that the top college coaches or probably all college coaches are looking for kids that, that are tenacious, that have grit, that have tenacity, that have the fight, uh, that can handle adversity. Uh, and, and, and so for, for me, uh, you know, character is at the very top. You know, my mentor, Coach Dan McGill, used to say, well, there, there's talent a dime a dozen. You know, there's talented people everywhere. The most talented people are not necessarily always the ones that rise to the top. It's, it's the kid with passion. It's the kid with, you know, a fight, with pride, with uh, toughness. Uh, because as you know well, uh, you know, a tennis match is not always on the ascendancy or always on the descendancy. It's there's their momentum flows and, and you know, you got to grab on and hold on, but then you got to minimize uh, when things are going against you. So it's, it's, a, it's a sport where there's a lot of ebbs and flows and how you manage and how you handle those is of utmost importance. So that's one, you know, that's one thing I look for when I'm out there watching. And I think that's something that kids need to know is important to most coaches. Now you mentioned that championships won at the bottom, right? And right now I can only imagine being a college coach with a kid that was probably top 75 in the world ITF that you're going to come and maybe it's because of size or just age, you're going to come and ask him to play number five, right? Mm -hmm. With now the portal, because now the kids have an opportunity to say, Hey, I'm top dog from Colombia or Peru or France. And I got to come in and play, you know, four or five or six. I may opt to go to the portal where I can play number one, right? How do you manage that now? recruiting all the top guys getting yeah. to be in the team and understand that that five and six position is like that that wins the title for us yeah well i think there's a couple of aspects there i think that uh number one is uh you know the kids that that come to georgia wind up loving georgia right wind up loving the people that we have in the locker room so the culture has a lot to do with whether you retain players or you don't uh, so I think just uh, you know, establishing, just looking for if you're a, a young prospect coming up, uh, a 16, 17-year-old, you know, looking for a place where you're going to love being around this group of people. You uh, you love the culture of the program. I think that's imperative for kids to find out. What I tell people is, you know, if if you're playing number five your freshman year and you come in and you're, you're 15 and one, you're, you know, like you're going to have opportunities to move up, at least in our program. Uh, so if you handle a position with great success, you're going to continue to move up because I'm only looking to improve our chances. And if, you know, if, if you're developing, I think that 
that is the, the, the biggest question is, are kids feeling like they're developing? Um, are they really just fulfilling their own promise? And I think that if you, you know, we keep harp, harping on this every day at practice, just about, you know, are you making the guy across the net from you better today? Are you, are you just improving that 1% on a given day? And I think that if we commit to, you know, to pushing each other, I think everybody's level is going to rise and I think you're going to fulfill your press, uh, your, your potential and you're, you're going to feel like you're doing, you're improving. And that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, we've seen number two players and number three players in the lineup win an NCAA championship. So it doesn't preclude you. I think that, you know, I think in college, I think, you know, kids also get the opportunity to learn that, Hey, the world doesn't revolve around you all the time. You need to work in a team setting. And, and again, like I said before, you need to make the guy across the net uh, better that day, whether you're having a good day and he's not, you know, it's your responsibility to lift him up. And it's your, you know, your, your responsibility to call him out when his behavior is not appropriate, right? I'm also there to do that. But it's only when you see that inertia take place, that, that, that momentum where guys are holding each other accountable, that's when we can fulfill our promise as a team. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the most famous Georgia Bulldog is John Isner. And John always, he, he kills me. He sometimes would be on tour, he's sitting there eating lunch. And he's like, yeah, you know, I couldn't play basketball at Georgia. I was like, bro, let me tell you. No tennis player is playing tennis if they could have played basketball at Georgia, right? You could not play basketball just because you're 6'10". <laughs> you could only play tennis at that level of school. Tell us about John on campus. Well, John was... Uh was so goofy and lovable, really. Um, you know, he showed up on campus uh, six, nine and a half or so. He, he only says he's six, nine, six, nine and a half. He's, he's like six, 11. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, he was fun. He was, uh, he's always laughing. He's got a great sense of humor, uh, you know, self-deprecating in, in many ways. He doesn't take himself too seriously. And I think, you know, that was one of the most impressive things about him. He never, he never, you know, while he was one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around, uh, he also um, was a fabulous teammate and um, he was easy to get along with. Um, you know, he, he, I, I used to have to change drills every five to 10 minutes because he couldn't do a drill more than 10 minutes without getting bored. Yes. You know, he was a little hyper. He was a little, you know, all over the place, but he just loved the game. 
and he was a great competitor. So, you know, he was a, obviously a great addition to our team. And he, he always gives credit to his college years at Georgia with, you know, with uh, establishing a great foundation for him. But, you know, he just grew into his body. He, he gained 45 pounds of muscle. His freshman year, he actually didn't even finish his freshman year postseason play. By the time we got done with our regular season, his back was so tight. Uh, he had to actually set out some of the uh, matches towards the end of the season, went home, uh, didn't do much that first. He didn't play much that first summer, uh, but he came back and dedicated himself to becoming a little bit more flexible. He couldn't even touch his toes. So he <laughs> went really, he went from being the most inflexible player we had. Uh, he had zero flexibility to being our most flexible player by the time he got done at Georgia. And he, he has dedicated himself to taking care of his body he, like, like nobody's business. He's, he's just really conscientious about it. And um, that's why his career has been so lengthy out there. Oh, man, super steady. Now, when you're recruiting, because we see on tour now, it's like, you know, we evaluate pro talent based on, you know, everyone has a big serve. Everyone got a big forehand. Yeah. Now we start to say, can a guy move, right? We see Alcaraz, Djokovic, right. all the greats kind of move. John is not one that you look at and say, okay, this guy can move. So when you're yeah, recruiting no. him, were you thinking, I'll just play him at one, he'll serve his way to six all, and we'll go 50-50 in the tiebreakers, and he'll like win half of him at number one for, because <laughs> honestly, in college tennis, right, sometimes yeah. we, we can hide our number three player right. if they're the biggest server at number one and not necessarily yeah. depend on them to win. When you were recruiting right. John, what was your thought process? I thought he'd be pretty good. And to be honest, his freshman year, he played mostly at number three. Um, you know, he just uh, he did a great job for us. But he, we had some more experienced players. Uh, it, and he, I also didn't want to – he could have probably played two, and, and he played some at two or one. And he did get some opportunities. I wanted to make sure that he came along and he was able to, you know, like, for example, when he showed up on our campus, uh, you know, I, I said, dude, with that serve and your not lack of mobility for a better way, you know, like you're not Michael Chang out there, uh, you know, like you need to serve in volley. So uh, I said, if you want to be a complete player, I mean, and you want to play up to your potential, I think you need to start, um, you know, serving and volleying a, a lot. And, uh, and, and he did it. That doesn't mean like, that's, I know that's not his style, but he was, he's able to do it. And, um, and that was something that from the, from the get go just struck me how coachable he was. If you asked him to do something for a particular purpose and you could sell that to him, he could actually compute it. And he, his ego didn't get in the way. In, in other words, winning a practice set wasn't as important as the bigger goal of, you know, becoming a better player. This is what you need to go to the next level or to take the next step. And he was so willing to do it and he didn't put his ego on the line. And that was one of the special things about John, whether he won a match or lost a match. I mean, like he hated to lose. Don't get me wrong. He hated to lose, but he never took that personally he never really saw well i'm lesser of a person or of a competitor 
because I lost a match. Uh, today, maybe I got outplayed. He always kept things in perspective and, you know, a special kid. Mm. So I'll go back, right? So we're talking about pros. Prior to going into college tennis, you coached the Jensen brothers, right? Uh, no, Murphy, Murphy Jensen came, Murphy, Murphy came to Jen, uh, Jensen transferred from USC to, uh, to Georgia for his last two years of college and Murphy and Al Parker played doubles together. Um, and, uh, they did very well. And then after college, Murphy went and joined his brother who had graduated from, um, uh, from USC a few years earlier, um, and, uh, and won the French open. Yeah. Now, how is Murphy? Murphy to me and his son Billy, right? Um, Murphy is one of the greatest guys. And I always, uh, yeah. what, 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 what really stands out to me is when you hear like Luke talk about the French Open final championship that almost didn't happen, right? Because yeah. he was so nervous and he couldn't get out of bed, he wasn't feeling right. Um, tell me about Murphy. I mean, just those two guys have like, are like a staple in tennis because of their personality. So I can only imagine yeah. in a team setting. Yeah, no, Murphy was was a hoot. You know, I've never seen anybody, you know, that never had a bad day. I mean, like he came to practice. He was always joking. He was always loud. He was always slapping hands. And uh, he was great to have. He was great to have. I think he's just uh, one of the outstanding personalities in in tennis. Uh, and it's been great to see him having tremendous success. So I got a, a hard question for you. So, I, I, you know, Tommy Paul always talks about he wanted to go to North Carolina, but didn't get offered a full scholarship, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was a miss. So what kid did you miss, right? Where you were like, yeah, he's, we're recruiting him, but not pushing real hard. And the kid ends up being great. And was like, damn, we missed that. What, name, name a player you're tweeting. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you, you mentioned Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul pretty much, he committed to us and then got a great offer and wound up turning pro. Uh, but so we, you know, we missed out on him. He, the next year, he came and watched the NCAAs in Athens with the team and the clubhouse and all that stuff. He, he actually has always said, I wish I'd gone to college for a year or so, but um, that was one that, you know, got away a little bit, but um uh, you know, I recruited uh, Sisipas, and uh, he decided to turn pro. Not a bad decision. Yeah. Wow. A <laughs> um, uh, few others, to be honest with you. I mean, so many, so many of them. That, uh, but uh, uh, you know, we've had we've had a lot of guys uh, that that turned pro there. You know, oh, uh, you know, as you well know, probably the most famous case is uh, John Roddick played for me, and while he was playing, his 10-year-old little brother or 12-year-old little brother, Andy, was running all over the place during many of his tennis matches. Uh, you know, his mom and dad, Jerry and Blanche Roddick, used to come all the time to watch John, you know, play some of the matches. And this little kid, this little runt was running all over the place, going under the grandstand in the mud, getting balls from underneath the, the grandstand. And, you know, he winds up, uh, you know, being a Kalamazoo. Uh, well, I think he lost at Kalamazoo, but then he went, went on from there and had a great fall and won the, uh, the Orange Bowl and, and the Australian Open. And then he was, he was gone. But we were obviously recruiting uh, Andy since he was a little boy. He just got too good. Oh, man. Now, I was like, yeah. I've been to Athens, and it's a beautiful campus, and the af the, all the athletic programs are great and facilities are great. I cannot imagine Tommy Paul 
spending a year in Athens. He would have lost his mind. Yeah. Him and, <laughs> I mean, him and we would have we would have had to have a bodyguard, but that's okay. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. So who is the best player in Georgia history to not try his hand at the pro tour? Because we see that a lot in tennis where we have mm-hmm. really smart guys, right? Guys that come from good homes, they have options. And they may say, eh, tennis is great, but it's hard and financially it's a bad investment. Who's a player that played for Georgia that you think, you know, could have spent a year or two on tour and made it eventually that never tried? That never tried? Probably the first one to come to mind is Hisham Hameda from uh, Egypt. Uh, he was our number one player when we won the national championship in 1999. And he was a beautiful one-handed back in. He was so talented. Hisham uh, came to Athens, to Georgia, when he was barely turned 17. So he graduated from high school early. Uh, Bobby McKinley, uh, I ran into him at the U.S. Open Juniors, and he went like, I got a player for you. So I went to watch Hisham, and, you know, he uh, he won a round or two, and I think lost, and and we had him over for a visit, and he became a Bulldog. And, you know, his uh, his last year, he was number two in the nation in singles, and I kept going like, Hisham, you're going to go out there and play, aren't you? Uh, and he said, Coach, and he just kept telling me, Coach, I am not living out of a suitcase. I, it's it, it's not the lifestyle I want. And I always felt like Hisham uh, would have been uh, a terrific top 100, top 50. Who knows uh, what he could have done. But he was so talented, a beautiful player to watch and just, uh, yeah, had it all. And But he never gave it a, a try. But he's very successful living in Abu Dhabi now. The other one I could think of is Matthias Boker, who, by the way, go out he went out there and and played pro tennis for I think one or two years but he had a a couple of little injuries and I think honestly I don't know you know Matias won the NCAA singles back to back in 2001 and 2002 and uh, won the triple crown there's only been like two or three players that won the team singles and doubles on the same year and that was back when you know we had to play two rounds of singles in one day After the team tournament, 16 teams, not eight like it's now, 16 teams. So it's one extra day of the team. Then in the draw, you had to play two rounds of singles on a Friday and two rounds of doubles, two out of three sets, Mm. two rounds of doubles on Saturday, quarters Mm. and finals. And, uh, you know, you talk about a feat. That guy was outstanding. But he went out there for a little bit, but I never thought he really stayed out there long enough. Uh, Mm. You know, he had a twin brother. Mm-hmm. They became separated for the first time ever. I'm not sure he was happy out there all alone and by himself. And, I, you know, I, I was with him in the finals of the ATP event in, um, in Atlanta watching John. I think it was in the finals or semis. And he, he went like, I should have been out there. And I went <laughs> like, yes, dude. Yes, dude. You would have been out there. Um, but I think he, he would have definitely been one that uh, would have made it. So you mentioned 0102. I was at Florida AM at the time. We had a guy on our team, uh, Jerry Joseph, whose brother Leslie, we were recruiting and yeah. lost to you all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I yeah. definitely remember Matias kind of doing that. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care 
a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Um, so now Ethan Quinn, right? So number one, I think Ethan was probably a kid last year who prior to his freshman year probably could have started a pro career, right? And started playing a challenge, et cetera. How do you convince a kid like that, or did you, did you even have to, to come spend a year at college? Uh, is it, you, you know, need more time on the court, yeah. need to, you know, sharpen your yeah. teeth a little bit, need to grow a little bit, need to get a little more size. How do you convince a kid to come there when, you, when he could turn pro? Yeah, uh, well, I don't think Ethan was ready to turn pro. Um, in his own mind, right? Uh, I don't think he was quite there yet. He needed to get stronger. I th- the way things happened with Ethan, Ethan came uh, a semester early. In other words, the second half of his senior high school year, he had a good summer, but he had a terrible fall. He didn't have anybody uh, to practice with, to train with in his hometown, hometown of Fresno, California. Mm. Brad Stein had already... Uh, gone on the road with Tommy Paul. Brad, you know, was his mentor and his coach, uh, you know, and and brought him along. So he felt like he didn't really have anybody to push him or train him. And so when he went to the Orange Bowl and lost first round, he was very frustrated and um, felt that he had lost a whole lot of momentum. So he he calls me or his mom calls me early in December and, and says, hey, is it too late for for us to try to get Ethan into school. And so we had to work very fast and we said, heck yeah, let's do it. But, but he wanted to be eligible for four full years. He actually he says, I want to play my four years at Georgia. And, and I want to be a part of when we host it my senior year. So, uh, you know, that was his, in his mind, he didn't think he was ready to play in our lineup his freshman year. I, I must look like the dumbest guy in the world for not playing him, but he actually, that was his wish. He wanted to train hard. He wanted to get stronger. He wanted to work on his flexibility. Uh, his hip mobility was one issue that you know our, our specialists found that he needed to you know, get better at. And so there were things that he wanted to address so that he could be ready to go the next fall. <laughs> Needless to say, he, he really improved while redshirting uh, at Georgia, just practicing with all of our guys. We had a great uh, deep squad, so he had great practices. He got an extra time every time he went, you know, like he got an extra lift every week. He got with our strength and conditioning coaches, our, our medical staff, and worked on his flexibility and, and really had a great summer last summer catapulted him up there in the 
what is it, five, five something ATP ranking, won a couple of tournaments. And then he has the great year that he had this year. So, you know, you know, everybody is on their own timetable, right? It's hard to predict. But yeah, did I know that he could have helped us last year? Yes, absolutely. But I was, you know, I was having to consider his wishes. Number one, he wasn't sure he could play right away when he got there as a senior in high school. Right. Um uh, I think he could have, <laughs> no doubt that he could have. Um, but, you know, um, you know, we thought that was good reason for him. And, and so we honored his wishes and, and continue to work very hard with him and, you know, couldn't be prouder of, of Ethan and the kind of year that he's had. So I think that his progression speaks to the environment. Give us a day in a life as a college tennis player at UGA. Do we encourage the kids to have their classes all be in the morning, come get some individual work and then do team practice in the afternoon. What is a day in the life of a UGA men's tennis player? Well, we try to get our guys to, to have a little bit of a flexible schedule so that we can uh, schedule at least three individual practices during the morning. So we will have strength uh, work, you know, strength and conditioning work three mornings of the week, Monday, Wednesday, team? Friday. As a team? As a team, yeah, 6.30 to 7.30. There may be some guys that have classes at 8 or or maybe later. So based on your schedule, some of the guys went to lift and, and, and do our conditioning workout in the morning. And then at 8 o'clock, you know, two or three would come for an individual workout uh, uh you know individual practice where we get to work a little bit more on you know making adjustments making tweaks technique this or that specific stuff uh so you know uh, at least three days a week some of the guys will come four and five we kind of leave a little bit up to them to develop some responsibility for it so we encourage them to take uh, a little bit of leadership there as well but we schedule at least two or three individual practices for them in the mornings whether it's before classes, in between classes, or after classes, and before team practice at two thirty, so they go to lunch whenever, with some some at twelve, twelve thirty, whatever, whenever their schedule allows, and we try to get everybody to be done with classes by one o'clock. You go to you go to class uh, probably one or two, three hours a day. Mm -hmm. Some of these since COVID, some of these classes are now online, so we have a lot more flexibility to have individual practices with them. Uh, it just frees up a little bit more time. And, um, and then our practice is about two and a half hours in the afternoon. And like I say, the, the days where we don't have the, the morning conditioning, uh, we'll do fitness after practice. So, you know, our 2.30 practice, we may be done at five and from five to 5.40 or 5.45, we may do some conditioning work, uh, some uh, agility or conditioning work after practice. So we're done, you know, about 5.30 or so it's a, it's a long day, but they, they, they respond. Yeah. <laughs> you got to occupy these teenagers time so they don't get into trouble. You know, that 630 workout is good. It's like, Hey guys, you got to go to bed now, you know? Cause you <laughs> well, you don't even have to tell them if you have a good day like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, by, by, by 11 o'clock they're, they're down. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> so NIL, right. So we've seen, you know, men's basketball, women's basketball, men's football really capitalize on NIL. 
I don't know mm-hmm. that the same level of opportunity has hit college tennis yet. Tell us yeah. about your experience. But, but if it is, it's going to hit at UGA. It's going to hit at UCLA, Texas, right? It's going to hit you guys first. Tell me about your experience with NIL in men's tennis so far. Well, it, it's changing year to year. I mean, like, it, it, it's like the horse is out of the barn, right? And uh, I hear more schools, like, conversing with prospects about opportunities that are out there for the existing student athlete. We're not, so when we recruit kids, we cannot promise them an NIL money. So we don't. We just tell them we have a collective that works locally with all of our UGA athletes and trying to help them secure opportunities on their behalf. And, and, and you know, we can allude to, you know, two or three of our kids that have some, some NIL opportunities already on our team. They can inquire about those, uh, you know, if, if the student athlete wants to share, and they do. Uh, but, you know, we, uh, you know, we have, you know, in our athletic department, we have advisors for them. We educate them on how to pursue and how to establish their brand, but we don't secure deals for our athletes. We cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, you know, that doesn't uh, mean everybody is uh, doing the right thing or the exact thing, but I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the rules right now. And they're going to continue to get regulated because, you know, it was like the wild west. And uh, <laughs> I think that they're trying to, they're trying to make sure that, you know, things, uh, you know, remain sort of rational, I guess, and yeah. not get too far out of control. But the horse is out of the barn. I mean, you see these football players making over a million dollars. There's, I don't know, if, you know, a couple of football players last year, you know, doing uh, just huge uh, NIL deals. And that's, that's great. Uh, that's great that they have that opportunity. Um, it's, it's, it's all new to me, obviously. Uh, you know, it, it's coming towards the end of my career. It's not like I'm 25 and, uh, you know, trying to be more aggressive with it. Uh, you know, it's, right. it's, it's great. And Ethan was able to benefit. I think we had one or two other kids that had some opportunities that, that came about. And uh, I think it's going to keep growing for our, you know, for our program. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we're, we're, we've got a great group of lettermen that are so supportive. So, uh, you know, they continue to improve opportunities for our guys. And former college tennis player, fan of the sport, coach pro players. uh, I think when you look at sort of the average income of a professional tennis player, given the number of weeks and how long of a season they play, we probably are all underpaid, right? So what do you (laughs) think? That's right. and, And tennis especially, right? What do you think? we we need to do in tennis to sort of reach the level you know if at all possible of a college basketball number one is how do we get it on tv more right i mean the tv exposure really impacts your nil opportunity you know how do we sort of work together so that if we got an 11 or 12 year old boy who's a great athlete and good at tennis but also good at basketball how do we keep that kid in the game and not have him choose basketball at 15 just because there's more money? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's the eternal battle, uh, right? Uh, that's a big, big, big um, uh, challenge that we face, challenge we face in college tennis. And, uh, you know, we can't, if we can't do better than we're doing right now, we're going to stagnate 
I mean, softball has chosen left us behind. Uh, soccer, you know, uh, it, you know, just I don't know what the answer is, but uh, you know, we're not getting the tennis, the golf channel. I mean, the, the, I forgot the number of hours the golf channel had for golf, for college golf on their network. We don't get the same thing, um, you know, in college tennis. Uh, you know, we have a we have an issue with with what it takes to produce a product on TV uh, with our format. Um, but but that's what it makes it on the other side of the coin. It's what makes college tennis so exciting. You come come out to a tennis match and you have six football games going on and you can go you can you can be attracted to this court because of the style you could be attracted to this court because of the energy you could be attracted down the road to that other court over there because it's coming down to a tiebreaker you have so much to choose from um that uh, it makes college tennis just a phenomenal in-person experience everybody that comes out i had so many fans this year that came out and 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 looked me up or wrote me or emailed me or whatever and said I hadn't been to a ten, a college tennis match. This is just the best thing ever. Um, and and I'm I'm a fan for life now. Uh, but we cannot reach the numbers unless we get ourselves on TV. And um, and we got to find a way. We got to find a way. We got to continue to beat the drums and. Uh, you know, hopefully Tennis Channel will come up and, and do a little bit more next year. And, and you know, and UTR, I think, is doing, you know, the, the final eight on uh, YouTube TV or YouTube channel. Um, but we need, yeah, we, we need to get that thing done. We need to get the ball in the end zone when it comes to exposure because we're losing, um, you know, a lot of kids to other sports. If you don't see, you know, if you don't see yourself in, you know, in that player on TV, uh, you know, it, it, it's they're going to gravitate to other sports. Yeah. Well, Manny, you've been so generous with your time. I know you had a long season. I want to congratulate you again. Thank 29 you. successful seasons, SEC Coach of the Year, numerous times you can't even count. Uh, recently, talk about smart recruiting, right? To say, oh, yeah, Ethan, come on and just sit out for half a semester and then win NCAAs next year, right? You know, like recruiting genius. Um, I appreciate your time. I congratulate you on a great career uh, and continued success to the Bulldogs. And man, you know, if I had had parents that played tennis and sort of knew what they were doing when I was a kid, I would have loved to have gone to Georgia. I mean, Athens is just a fiery sort of tennis environment. You almost feel like it's a football game, right? The way the student body comes and supports uh, tennis, right? You know, I went to FAMU. We didn't have anybody come watch us play. So... Uh, I want to congratulate you not only on recruiting, but also on the environment that you have to create energy around tennis. So congratulations. Appreciate it. And it's great being with you. Come on. Thank you so much. All right. Take care.